I think it's funny or significant that we've been having trouble with fire today as we explore transformation. Just something there, you know, the transformative element. I have been thinking for so long about what I want to say to you at this platform. It's like a little running tape that's been going on in my head for a few months. Partly because this is my last platform before my three-month sabbatical, which is exciting and scary and certainly nervous-making. But also because transformation, the theme that we begin to explore this month, is so much a part of what a community like Wes is about. Back at the beginning of this congregational year, way back in September, you remember September, right? It was a while ago. Yeah. I talked about what it what rebuilding meant. We were exploring the theme of homecoming. You can see the green poster there from homecoming. And, and I started off our year by talking about rebuilding together and what that meant. And I talked about it at that time. I talked about it on a personal level for each of us, what it means to rebuild in our lives, on the level of the West community and then in the world around us. I talked about how in our lives, always, we are continually building and rebuilding, dismantling and building again. And now, as we enter into the month of transformation, I think about how what all that rebuilding is for is for the possibility that transformation might happen again and again and again. That all the rebuilding we do is either so that we might transform or, or so that we can cope with transformation that has been thrust upon us, which happens sometimes too. It always feels that way with transformation. Sometimes we have the luxury of seeking it out and sometimes it simply happens to us. Unbidden, perhaps unwelcome. We had a term for that when I was in, uh, in seminary, those transformative experiences. We called it um, AFGEs, was another bleep growth experience. <laughs> we were training, you know, to become clergy, not to become angels. So <laughs> there's a John Maxwell quote. John is a pastor, actually, but he's spoken and written widely on leadership, and I love the way he puts it. Change is inevitable, he says. Growth is optional. (laughs) So what does this mean for us right now? What do I want to say to you? It's a lot of pressure, it turns out, to feel like I have words that are sort of somehow wise enough that they will last for three months. (laughs) I'm going to guarantee they won't. How about that? That'll make me feel more relaxed. You guys can sigh a breath of relief. What I'd like to do, I think, is is talk about transformation in those same three categories. The personal transformation in the West community and transformation in the world around us. I think in some ways personal transformations are often where we begin, what we imagine as most central to our own lives. 
Anais Nin has a, a beautiful quote. She said, I take pleasure in my transformations. I look quiet and consistent, but few know how many women there are in me. We all have these many women in us, these many men, these many people over the course of our lifetime. And sometimes we shift from one to the other because we have planned long and hard for that shift. And sometimes the shift, as I said, comes upon us unwelcome. A shift from the outside, a loss, perhaps, a change in role, a sense that we are not the same person we were before. Those are the harder transformations, at least we say so, how we cope with the change that life forces on us. And then here I am at the beginning of this incredible gift of a three-month sabbatical, I have the opportunity to think about how I might want to transform, to plan for it in a way. I've been thinking about all of that and what I want to do on sabbatical. And of course, you all have been asking me, I think about for the last six months, what are you going to do on sabbatical? What are you going to do on sabbatical? What, What are your plans for sabbatical? And mostly I have said something like, oh, nothing, or I don't know yet. For me, part of what I am hoping to practice on sabbatical is having fewer plans than usual. And it's a stretch, let me tell you. (laughs) I was talking with a coach the other day about my upcoming sabbatical, a clergy person, and, um, and I said, you know, I think on my first day of sabbatical, I had been talking with colleagues, what should I do that first day? And they said, um, Whatever sounds the most fun to you. Just do something really, really wonderful that really nurtures you. And so I thought maybe I would um, uh, go get a bunch of um, art, like artistic materials and storyboard my whole um, three-month sabbatical out. <laughs> I would design it. I knew I didn't want to like write lists about it. That was really so, super type A. So I thought I would just like draw perfect drawings of each of the chapters of my sabbatical. I'm going to start with letting go, and then I'm going to... And so I was telling this to the coach, and he said, oh, that sounds like something you could do. <laughs> and, um, and I said, the thing is, I just, I really want, by the end of the three months, I just want it to be, I want it to have been totally transformative. <laughs> and he said, you might want to set your expectations a little lower. <laughs> And then I thought, oh, right. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. And I don't think it usually comes on our schedule. Right. So I have changed my expectations. I have tried to lower them. I'll do only a little storyboarding, really. I have the first chapter of my sabbatical named, but not the second one yet. That's pretty good for me. Like, it's only a month out. The second one, I don't know what it's going to be. I loved the piece that our chorus sang during the meditation music. That's what I want to do on my sabbatical. Hush. Wait. And listen. Listen for what needs to be drawn or storyboarded. Listen for what emerges. 
not think I know how it will be. I think about our turtle story, too. I don't actually want to be buried in a compost heap on my sabbatical, but I do like the idea of going inside, seeing what lies in wait there. So often for us, that personal transformation comes from moments like that, I think, from the space that we give ourselves not to know what comes next. (laughs) So tricky. Also so important because when we plan what comes next, you may have noticed it's not actually always what comes next. Not on the schedule, we thought, with our little post-it notes and bullet points. How are we like that turtle? The common metaphor, I think, for personal transformation is usually the caterpillar and the butterfly, and that's a good one, too, you know. But But the caterpillar emerges so radically different, and sometimes, sometimes we're more like the turtle. Sometimes the transformation we experience is just making it through the wintertime so that we can emerge, still a turtle, when the spring comes. So that's personal transformation. What about this community in general and in the next three months, too? When I invited you to look back to September, I wonder what you saw in your mind's eye. Some of you didn't see anything thinking about this community last September. Some of you weren't here last September. You hadn't found us yet, hadn't walked through our doors. What do you imagine in your mind's eye a year back before that? Or 10 years? Some of you remember 20 years and 30 years ago in this community. A community like Wes is constantly in some kind of transformation, or at least some kind of change. I think we probably fit that saying, too. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. But always something is changing. It's good. It's hard. It's terrible. It's hard again. Right now, in the last few months, Wes has been in something of a numerical growth period. I say numerical growth because there's all kinds of growth, you know. There's, there's growth in terms of, of spiritual depth or ethical principles. There's growth in terms of programs. Well, those of you that have children in our Sunday school or who look for a seat at a later time on Sunday mornings when you come in know we've had some numerical growth here. And that's exciting and wonderful and hard and kind of stressful. Part of what a community like West does in the midst of all of that change, which happens all the time, whether you can see it or not, you know, things are changing in a community like West. People are leaving and people are coming. What we offer changes. Our children grow up. Part of what is important for us to do, I think, is identify the core of who we are amidst that change. What is worth hanging on to despite everything, despite the movements of the world and our own movements in time? And then I wonder what happens 
when we're in the midst of all of that change, if we begin to think of it instead as transformation. I wonder if it's just a semantic difference, just one word for another, or if there's a difference in how we approach it. There's a Sufi story that I heard a number of years ago, and I was reminded of it as I thought about this platform. I just love it. It tells the story of a stream coming from the far-off mountains, Passing through all kinds of different countryside, the stream just flows along, easily up and down, over the little hills, through the rocks, until it comes to a desert. And it tries this stream. You have to kind of anthropomorphize the stream. You know that, right? Just go with me here. So it tries this stream to get across the desert. But of course it can't. As soon as the water gets into the sand, It's absorbed, the waters disappear. But the stream was convinced that its destiny was to cross the desert. It said to itself, the wind crosses the desert, so why can't I? Oh, no, wait, the stream didn't say that. It was a hidden voice. It was a hidden voice. Maybe it was internal to the stream. We don't know. The wind crosses the desert, and so can you, says this hidden voice. The stream said, but the wind can fly. That's how the wind crosses the desert. It's completely different. And the voice says, well, yes, if you go across in your accustomed way, you will not be able to cross the desert. That's true. You've tried, and the water is absorbed in the sands. You will either disappear or you will become a marshland. You have to allow the wind to carry you. But how would that be possible? The wind to lift up a whole stream? Well, you must be absorbed in the wind, said the voice. This idea was not acceptable to the stream. It had never been absorbed before. It didn't want to lose its individuality. It had its streamness, and it was sticking to it. The wind said, the, said oh, that's the sand. Goodness, it's the sand talking, people, okay? The voice is coming from the sand. Okay, all right, we've got it, we've got it now. I flipped my page too early, and I missed where the voice was coming from. Boy, hush, wait, and listen, huh? The wind will help you, said the sand. The wind picks up the water, carries it across the desert, and lets it fall again. But how can I know this is true? asked the stream. It is so, and if you don't believe it, you just become that marshland anyway. I want to remain the same stream I am today, the stream continued to protest. You cannot, in either case, remain the same, said the whisper. Echoes began to arise in the thoughts of the stream It remembered a state in which some part of it had been held before in the arms of the wind. And so the stream raised its vapor into the welcoming arms of the wind, which bore it easily across the desert, letting it fall softly as rain once they reached the other side, many, many miles away, where then the stream became a river.
I love that story of transformation, of the fear we feel when we see the transformation before us, the unknowing as we cross the desert, exactly what will happen, but the dimly remembered echo of having been born on the arms of the wind again. People have been asking me as I prepare for sabbatical, you know, will we just stop doing everything that you would typically do while you're gone? Or, or we shouldn't make any decisions, of course. You know, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. And there's some truth to that. It would, you know, maybe if I came back and you'd like installed pews, that might be a surprise. A surprise. Not a welcome surprise, particularly. But I'm actually not worried that Wes will change in some way while I'm on sabbatical. I would be more worried to imagine that Wes doesn't change in those three months, that I come back and everything is precisely, exactly the same. Indeed, I really hope that Wes will change. I hope that you will have discovered some new way of doing things, some new way of being, so that when I come back, you can just teach me how it's done better or differently. There's been a metaphor that I have used as I plan and think about the sabbatical, a metaphor that, like many metaphors, I drew. You can see how beautiful my storyboarding will be. (laughs) That's my, sort of the depth of my drawing skills. I've thought about a wheel, and, and often I'm at the hub of the wheel of Wes. Sorry, the metaphor is the wheel is Wes, right? Yes, okay. And there's no desert, so we don't have to worry about the voice. (laughs) The wheel is Wes. And I'm often at the hub. Someone will come to me and say, oh, I want to start something. And I'll say, oh, I think I know someone else who wants to start that program. Oh, okay, well, let me get them together. Or I have a, a concern about something, and they'll come to me, and then I'll try to figure out who can help them with the concern. And so I've thought about what happens to a wheel when you take that hub away. You know, you've got all these connections that go from here to here and then from here to here, from here to here and then here to here. And, of course, when the hub goes away, you have to have spokes that go long across the circle. Connections that go from one to the other. That's what I can't wait for when I come back. I can't wait to see what new connections have been forged as you have lost that hub and gone straight through and realized you didn't need me so much in the center to have that long spoke across. That's what I've been thinking about as I think about transformation in this community in the coming months. Now, of course, it's tricky in a community like ours. We don't always agree on what transformation might look like. We don't always know exactly which way across the desert we want to go. And that's been true for decades and decades. I check in every once in a while with Ed Erickson, who was the leader here in the uh, 60s during the Civil Rights Movement and the Poor People's Campaign, and then also during the, the Vietnam War. And he actually got out in front of that war, protesting the Vietnam War, long before most folks were in the country, and before most folks were ready in this community, too. 
And it was a hard time, I think, when he was taking that stand. And so they, they stayed in relationship and stayed in conversation. We have a history in this community of being able to handle dissent. Being able to stay connected even when our vision of transformation looks different around the table, around the chairs. So that makes me think, of course, about transforming the world, that final piece. It has been a hard week for the world, especially here, 45 minutes from Baltimore. So many of us have been glued to the news. I know I have. Watching hour by hour what is happening now. How will my heart break anew? This community, as you heard from Ellen, as she announced during announcements, has been for many months engaging in the Black Lives Matter movement, talking about what that means for us, doing our own work around anti-racism, learning about privilege. And we don't always agree on that in this community. We have people with a range of opinions on where exactly we should fit ourselves in in that movement. I have another metaphor for you. It's my third and final, and then I promise I'm done. You know, I probably can't just bring metaphors into daily conversation so much during the next three months. (laughs) Oh, this dinner is like a wheel. Um, (laughs) But I have one more metaphor. It's from an essay written by the Reverend Ruth McKenzie a number of months ago as she watched the fires burning in Ferguson. And the essay is called The Necessity of Discomfort. She starts that essay with an image of a chick hatching. I don't know how many chick hatchers we have here. But it looks so cute, you know, hatching chicks, at least the way we draw it, sort of poking out adorably at Easter time. She talks about what it's really like. In the moments before birth, she writes, the small hatchling has eaten all its food and its growing body presses against every contour and curve of the shell. There is no more room. There is no more food. The chick hatches because its body is painfully cramped inside the world of the egg, and it is starving. Hatching, she writes, is not graceful. There is wrestling and rolling around. There is crying and prying. There is exhaustion and power naps. There is stumbling and trying to hold the head up while getting feet underneath the body. It is beautiful to behold, but I dare say the chick would not describe it that way. I think the chick would say, hatching is necessity. I read that months and months ago, and the image has stayed with me, the image of the uncomfortable hatching. Mackenzie goes on to talk about the egg we're all living in, the egg of racism and white privilege, as she puts it, this social construct that was made up centuries ago and that we are living out to devastating effect today. We are all in this egg, she writes, this racialized egg. We didn't construct it, we're just in it together. 
some to life-stressing, life-threatening disadvantage, and others to life-enhancing advantage. But regardless of where we are positioned in the egg, we are all starving. This pecking and prying, this wrestling and rolling around, this, she writes, is what's necessary. I have held that image of the egg, the chick trying to get out, not looking fluffy and graceful and beautiful, but trying to break free because it is necessary. I held that image as I saw the fires in Ferguson, as I tried to discern how we as a community might respond, how we as a community might learn more, might be activists in the world, how we might respond to the racist structures we see around us. And the image is helpful for me today. It was helpful this week. As I saw Baltimore burning and thought, you know, hatching is not graceful. We do it because it is necessary. Transformation is not always this beautiful butterfly. Sometimes transformation of ourselves, of our community, of the world at large, looks just terrible while you're in it. But it is necessary. All these transformations, I think, are connected. These different layers Our own personal transformations, the ones that we experience most deeply in our souls, they can never just be for us, you know. Ethical culture has, of course, the tagline so many of us repeat to ourselves to guide our actions, elicit the best in others and thereby in ourselves. And the thing I love about that is the mutuality of it. The idea that I can't possibly be at my best unless you are as well. And unless the world is created in such a way to allow for the flourishing of all. That's a big dream. But I like to believe it's possible. Or anyway, I like to act as though it is. That's enough for me. I think about the mindfulness and the quiet, the hushing and waiting and listening that I plan and hope to do on sabbatical, and I think that cannot just be for me so that I come back super peaceful. It has to be so I come back more able to engage in the world, more able to participate in its transformation, in this community's engagement in that transformation. William Bridges wrote a classic book on transitions a couple of decades ago, I think. He talks about um, the three stages of a transition. He says every transition starts with an ending, the ending of what used to be. I think about that often when I think about change because frequently we have changes we think of as so positive a baby being born, a wedding, and we forget about the loss that comes with that change, right? We forget about the end of something else that allowed it to be. So with every transition, we start with an ending. And then every transition, he says, 
ends with a beginning. The new thing, the chick hatched, the butterfly, or the turtle, still alive, still kicking. The middle, he says, is the neutral zone. We won't know what it is until we're in it. You can't plan that neutral zone. It's the part, perhaps, where the egg gets really tight and uncomfortable, or where you're buried under the compost pile, and everyone thinks you're gone for this world. I've been thinking about that idea, the ending. I think that's what we're in right now with my sabbatical, the ending. And then when I come back in August, we'll have the beginning, right? (laughs) And then there's that neutral zone, the one you can't plan and you don't understand until you're in it. The work of transformation is not to plan for the new beginning, at least not solely. And it's not really to mourn or to celebrate the ending, not solely. The real work of transformation for us, for our world, is to allow ourselves to be in the neutral zone, to notice when we're in it, to hush wait, and listen. To stay connected when there are others in it with us. And not to hurry too much toward that new beginning that's on its way. But just to stay there, sure that we are in the middle of yet another transformation. May that be so for you in your lives and for our world.